Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is Ramona Sullivan. She's a local legal aid attorney and activist. Good morning, Ramona. Good morning. First start with a little history of yourself. Where did you grow up and what brought you to this community? I grew up in Edgar County, which is just a little bit southeast of Champaign County. And I came in 1989 to be a freshman at the University of Illinois. And professionally, you champion those who can often be judged unfairly or forgotten. In 2001, you completed the 40-hour domestic violence training. Why is that topic near and dear to your heart? And what was that process like? I'm lucky enough that I didn't ever get myself deep into a relationship that wasn't safe. So I'm very lucky and and... And I appreciate that because a lot of people get pretty deep into relationships that aren't safe. During my time at my employer called Land of Lincoln Legal Assistance, I had several years where I was funded by a grant from the Violence Against Women Act. So my job was specifically targeting, not targeting, but was limited to representing people who were involved in domestic violence relationships. And so I would help them get out of those relationships, get orders they needed to be safe get custody orders, child support orders, whatever they needed to be safe. If you haven't been involved in a domestic violence relationship or you don't know people well who have been, it's really hard. It's just really hard to understand and to relate and to fully understand what you need to do to help somebody. So that training, the domestic violence training was incredibly helpful to help give me perspective on how people got where they were, maybe some of the reasons why they got where they were and what they were going to need to get out of it. So I, I really, really think every single person should do the 40-hour training um, to help themselves to recognize what might be going on in their own lives and certainly to help their friends or their clients. And being a mother helps a lot in that process with the empathy and the sympathy. And you have three beautiful children. I do. Your first son was a toddler and you were nine months pregnant with your daughter when your husband passed away from Marfan syndrome. What is this disease? What would you like people to know about it to prevent going through what you went through? Well, most people, if they don't know someone with Marfan syndrome, have never heard of Marfan syndrome, I think. I had certainly never heard of Marfan syndrome until my husband was diagnosed and he was diagnosed at age 27 when it there was very little left to do to try to make it possible for him to live much longer. Um, if you know you have Marfan syndrome, generally there are lifestyle modifications and medications and elective surgeries that can make you have a reasonably normal lifespan. That's not always true because the condition, there's a spectrum of it. So some people are super severe. Whether they know or not, there's not going to be a good outcome. But for most people, if you know, you can dramatically change the outcome. So that's what's so heartbreaking about that particular condition is if you know you have it, you can treat it and you can potentially have a reasonably normal life. And if you don't know you have it and you're not treating it, you will die young. Um, It's a connective tissue disorder. So the part that kills you generally is within your cardiovascular system because your aorta is falling apart and you can't live with an aorta that's falling apart. So it's just very heartbreaking. He That particular condition for my, my late husband would have very likely been very treatable if he had known, and he did not know. Who and what got you through that part of your life? Oh, God. I mean, everything. God, I guess, number one. I do, I do have faith, which is very helpful in almost every minute of a day. Um, I have a really supportive family who was incredibly supportive during that period of time. And I have a pretty good outlook. Um, I usually can find the good. I can usually find the positives. Um, 
So I guess mostly those things are what got me through. You wrote a screenplay about it. I did. Is, is this something you want people to see or read, or is this something that just was a part of your personal healing? It started off as a part of my personal healing. For the first probably two years of being a widow with two little kids, I, I don't think I did any sleeping actually at all. I would you know work during the day. I'd get the kids all the things they needed, fed, bathed, off to bed. And then I was very lonely and sad. And I didn't feel like sleeping. So I just decided if I wrote this screenplay, that would occupy my time. It would be productive. It would help me heal. And I could capture forever memories that I don't want to lose. So I, you know, I wrote the characters and the dialogue and the soundtrack. I got it all down. And it was beautiful and it was very healing. Um, but the trick, do you write? I do. Do you write true things? I do. So the trick to writing a true story is yeah, while you're alive, it can't really end. So I had a beautiful screenplay that originally ended on opening day of a Wrigley Field baseball game at this point 15 years ago. And it just changes. I found somebody else that I love very much. We got remarried. I have another child. I ran for judge, for God's sake. I mean, I have so many additional pieces. So the story's not done and the, and the movie keeps changing. You have been quoted as saying, and this is one of my favorite quotes I've read, not just about you, but anybody. Some people play golf or travel. I guess my hobby is trying to prevent and alleviate human suffering. You already do that in your current job. You wanted to sit on the other side of the bench as a circuit court judge. How did you come to that decision? We need people like me on the bench. Amen to that. That's the reason. And I didn't see other people like me stepping up to try. So I tried. And... We really, really need people like me on the other side of the bench. We need people who, number one, see the suffering and maybe more importantly, care about it. You say like me. Do you want to just say female, empathetic, <laughs> democratic? Like, wh- where do we even start? Where do we start? I mean, I, the, the first piece, I think, is just legal aid, public servant, people who actually spend their days caring for other people. We need people like that on the bench. And that's very rarely what you find on the bench. Um, that's not how you get there. Usually you get there with the golfing or the, you know, the, the different kind of people. It does seem to have a lot of that. And so people like me, the people who really, really want to eliminate unnecessary suffering are not the people that find themselves with power. Prior to this year's election cycle, two circuit judges from District 6 retired. And then we know Randy Rosenbaum and Roger Weber were not elected. They had to be voted into office. So you challenged Roger Weber. 14 circuit judge positions in the 6th Circuit. Just out of curiosity, how many of them are Democrats? How many are women? Zero are Democrats out of 14. Which um, is, especially since this, this last election, you got a chance to see voters in all six counties vote for this. And it, was, it wasn't quite 50-50 on how many people wanted a Democrat and how many people wanted a Republican. But it was pretty close, like 52-48, something like that. And even though out of all six counties, that's what the vote breakdown is, there's still zero out of 14 that are Democrats. And how many are women? One. There is one female circuit judge. She is a Republican, and she was a career prosecutor. How can we break that cycle of the good old boys club? And why does it matter your political affiliation? Why does it tend to lean towards Republicans? That is a really deep question that I, I can't necessarily give the right answer to. I can give theories, I can give ideas, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, I, th- I think this is human nature. I think that almost all of us have a group of people that we spend time with, that we see, that we know their value. 
And we very often forget about the billions of other people that we don't see and what their value might be. So I think that since all of the judges are Republicans and they see other Republicans, they they know what those people bring and they know how how which of those people they think would be the most valuable on the bench. And I suspect they just forget about other people that aren't in those Republican rooms. That's my theory. I don't think it's some del- I hope. I don't think it's a deliberate effort to have everyone leaning one side. I really do think it's human nature to just say these are the people I know, and these are the ones I think would be good, and I'm picking them, and not really opening your eyes to other people. There is a rumor that women are too emotional to run for president. Would you say that women have possibly a better disposition in order to sit on a bench and decide important fates? I certainly think many women do. Um, yes. And I absolutely think that a mix of men and women in any setting is so much better than just one or the other. I have to say, the Democrats, we had a great blue wave in the county. However, as I've talked to people who helped knock on doors and put signs in yards, your loss really stung. We want you to run again. We need you to run again. (laughs) Is that something you're considering? Of course. I I can't think of any reason not to. Um, I've done an awful lot of hard work on this. I met a lot of people. And the voters in 2016 in Champaign County absolutely showed they'd like me to be judge. I, I think I got more votes in Champaign County than anyone but our three statewide incumbents. I think Jesse White, Mike Freritz, and Susanna Mendoza were the only people that got more votes than I did in Champaign County. And so there will be a spot on the ballot in 2020 that is just a Champaign County circuit judge position. And I, I can't think of any reason on earth why I won't run for that. Is that something that now that you're going to focus on in the next election cycle is putting your message out there, radio, television, and advertising, just to let the rest of the county know, hey, I'd be really good at this job? I will do the best that I can to get that message farther. My message was very well received by almost everyone that I reached. And the message being, we need balance on our bench. We can't just have Republicans. We can't just have men. We can't just have rich people. We can't just have white people. We can't just have one of anything. We need balance on our bench because the people that come into the courthouse to get disputes resolved are not all white male Republicans. You found happiness again, and you went on to have another child in your early 40s. I am exhausted, and I can't imagine what that would have been like for you. You're my age. What is the hardest thing about being a parent after 40? It's really funny because I'm the youngest of five kids, and two of my older siblings had a very similar family planning thing that went on. Two of my older siblings had kids that were very, very far into their growth. And then they suddenly had surprise children who were much younger. And I laughed at them and I said, I don't understand what you're doing. You must be so tired. I could never do that. And then at age 43, I had my, I had my newest baby. And the big kids at that point were 19 and 14. So yes, physically, it's really it's really as hard as you think it is. It's hard on, on a woman's body at age 43 to go through that and to recover from that. And it's hard on me um, just to sleep enough, just to... Physically, it's very hard. But emotionally, in all the other ways, it's so much easier at this age. But I saw at the Gay Pride Parade, your daughter <laughs> was the only one that your four-year-old wanted at the time. And uh, that was truly an incredible bond. So that must be that much sweeter to see their relationship develop like that. It is. It has been one of the best parts is just watching the big kids have these very nurturing sides I didn't see before. And they're the godparents for my little guy. And they 
they are, they're all very bonded and it's quite beautiful. What will be even more beautiful is seeing you on the bench. So what can we do here in Champaign County in our little bubble of the world in order to change the face of the judicial branch? Vote. Number one is vote. Um, I, I think it had just been a really, really long time since voters had a chance to say anything about judges. And this, this past election, both Chad Beckett and I were, well, and Randy Rosenbaum and Roger Weber, the four of us were out there all the time saying, this is on your ballot. Please get informed. Please know what the judges do. Please know who the judges are. Please know why this matters. And nobody had been out there saying that for 15 years because no one had bothered to run. So I do think we've gotten some conversations started. I think we've really educated a lot of people, but there are so many more people still to educate. But number one is to just to try to be informed and to vote. And that is what surprised colleagues of yours, say Alan Jones. They just fell short. Gordy Holton, you know, the Republican Party did not count on that blue wave here in the county. In your opinion, is that something that you were expecting? Did you think that the students would really push the vote over? Or were you a little surprised by that as well? I was a little surprised by the numbers. I, I very much knew Champaign County was going to go blue, but I didn't know it was going to go that blue. It went really blue. I mean, they're humans that we like. We like Alan Jones. Do you suppose that the fact that they never denounced the Trump policies, that that's what hurt them? Well, I know that hurt them with a lot of voters. I know that a lot of voters see see this world very much right now being very black and white and very, if you're taking an R and you're not saying I'm taking an R with these reservations, then you're taking the full R. Perfect way to put it. You're taking the full R. I'm, you should trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> and the full R right now is just... Nauseating. It's definitely not inclusive. That is so true. Now, as we go towards you filing and getting petitions and signatures, where are you in the process? I'm resting from the last race. Um, the, so the 2020 spot, um, we'd be gathering petitions in the fall of 2019. So you have a, a good 11 months to relax. Yes. And a lot of you know people would ask me on this last race, if you were going to do something different, what would you do? And I would say I would have started earlier and decided I was going to really have a plan and not just be kind of mad and decide I'm tired of voters not having a choice. So suddenly with no preparation, I'm your candidate, which is what I did last time. Um, but this time I really do have a chance to get prepared, to get a plan, to get a team together. Can I knock on doors with you? 100%. Can I wear my green mom's t-shirt in the parade with you? You can wear it actually to the grocery store and every time you leave the house. <laughs> I mean, now that I have your blessing and, uh, well, we're going to get you on the bench. The Democrats of Champaign County, that's our goal. Thank you. Ramona Solomon, thank you so much for spending time with me. And I have to ask, thank you for being part of this. Thank you very much. 